Well, I'm Pastor Larry, and I get the privilege of sharing God's word with you this morning. But I wanted to start with a huge thank you. Last Sunday, a couple of you put on a baby shower for Megan and I, and it was just such an amazing outpouring of love and support for us. Uh, Overwhelming. We drove home with about three cars full of gifts. We just finished last night opening them all. It's going to be, Megan's going to have to write 187 gift cards, or thank you cards, rather. I'll write a few of them, too. Um, you know, there was, there was about 200 people who showed up. 200 of you guys showed up. Uh, I was really concerned at first. I really wondered if I was going to be the only male. Uh, but thankfully, there were about five or six guys, so it was, it was well attended. Really, one of the wonderful things about this, one of the things that uh, I have loved so much about this baby shower is the overflow of it. The fact that um, not only are we going to be blessed, but many, many others are going to be blessed. You know, our child, our child will get a lot of attention. Not every child will get that kind of attention. Not every mom will get a baby shower like we got or even any shower at all. So the fact that we have been given so much, that there is so much of a bounty and so much of an overflow means that we can bless other people. That means you can bless other people. So thank you for that. Thank you. So one of the things that this also reminded me of, that baby shower reminded me of, was of God. It reminded me of God's spirit, how God's spirit overflows, right? And isn't that how God's spirit is with us? When we are filled with the spirit of God, when we are filled with his love, with his power, then it overflows out of our lives and into other people's lives. So this morning we are going to spy, I spy, right? We're going to spy on how God's spirit is poured out. And we're going to go to Acts chapter 19. So as you're turning to Acts chapter 19, I'll give you a little bit of background and catch you up to where we are in the story of Acts. Last week, Ella shared with us a little bit about the Apostle Paul and some of uh, how, what, what kind of Apostle Paul's modus operandi was. He would go to a place, uh, he would go to a city on his missionary journeys, and uh, he would start in the synagogue and he would share the gospel. He would share the news about Jesus coming. And then uh, some people would listen and oftentimes people got riled up. They got upset with what he was saying. So he'd get kicked out of the synagogue and then, you know, you know a riot would happen or he'd get beaten up or stoned or thrown into jail. And most often, he got run out of the city. It just seemed like that happened over and over and over again. But as Ella shared last week, Paul gets a break. God spares him, and and he gets to spend some time in Corinth. Um, And he gets even more of a break. He actually goes back home to Antioch. And then he starts his third missionary journey. He strikes back out just once again. And he ends up in the city of Ephesus. And while he's in Ephesus... He meets some guys, and that's where we start in chapter 19, chapter 19, verse 1. So read with me. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. And Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. 
On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Paul placed his hands on them. The Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. So pray with me. Father God, I pray this morning that not only we learn something, not only do we hear the word, Lord, but that we encounter your spirit, Lord. Lord, that we encounter your spirit in the truth, Lord, that your spirit would reveal to us who you are and strike, strip away any lies that are in our life. Lord, we pray that you, we would encounter your spirit in power, that you would empower us, that you would heal us, Lord. Most of all, Lord, we pray that we would encounter the presence of your spirit, that we would know your comfort, that we would encounter you. So, Lord, we ask this, we invite you this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, this is, this is such an interesting passage in Acts. It's, if, if you were to read and continue along, it just seems like a, sort of an aside. Uh, and, it's, and it's kind of strange in many ways. I have a lot of questions when I read this passage, like, um, what, were, what were John's disciples doing all the way in Ephesus? That's a long way away from where John was doing ministry. And, and wh- why didn't they know about the Holy Spirit? John the Baptist talked about the Holy Spirit a lot. And, uh, and what, what exactly did they believe? They called them, they, they were believers. But what did they believe? And the thing is, really, if, if, you, if you look into it and if you do some research, you realize that uh, the, the most that you can do is speculate. There's not a whole lot of good answers. So I'm going to speculate. I'm going to kind of tell you what I think is going on here. I think that these guys um, got some secondhand information. I think they might not have even been Jews. They could have been Gentiles, people who weren't Jews. And they might have heard about this guy, John the Baptist. They might have um, been, been told about him by disciples of John the Baptist. But they got secondhand information. And they probably knew the basics. They knew that there was one God. And they knew that this God was calling them to repentance, to turn away from whatever lifestyle they had and seek him. And they knew that they were, should anticipate, that they should look forward to a Messiah. So then Paul comes along, he meets these guys, and he says, hey, this, this, this anticipation that you've been having, I've got the answer for you. You were looking for Jesus all along. This is the guy. This is who John the Baptist was talking about. So they believe they are baptized in the name of Jesus, and then they receive the Holy Spirit. So fairly cut and dry, fairly, fairly um, straightforward if you put it that way. But the thing about this passage is that there is so much more going on here. And it's not actually in the passage that, that we realize what's going on. It's actually, it's like the tip of an iceberg. You know, if you look at an iceberg and you see the top and it's floating above the water all lovely and white, and then underneath there's just so much more going on. That's exactly what this passage is. And in order to really see the rest of the iceberg, you have to span the entire scope of the Bible. You have to go all the way back to the beginning. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to spend a few minutes and I'm going to walk through some of the story of the Bible to understand how we get to this point in Acts where we meet these 12 guys in Ephesus and they experience the Holy Spirit. And it all begins in the Garden of Eden. God creates mankind, he creates the world, and he creates humankind, man and woman. And his, his goal is to spend time with them, to be with them and them to be with him. That was his purpose. That was why he created mankind, just to be with them, for them to be with him. And so there they are, in the presence of God, no fear, no worry. The Bible says that they were ashamed. They're not ashamed. They were naked and not ashamed because they were pure. 
And then at some point, they believed a lie. They believed that God didn't love them. That they had to strike out on their own. And so they did. They struck out on their own. They believed the lie. And they were cast out of the garden because of that. And that begins the story of history. The story of all the pain and suffering of our world began right there with that decision. And ever since then, every human has made that same choice. To strike out on their own. To believe that God doesn't love them. But God had a plan. God had a plan to be with them. He wanted to restore that relationship with humankind. So the years went on. Humankind became more and more wicked. But God found one man. His name was Abram. And he told Abram, Abram, even in your old age, I'm going to give you a son. And through your son, you will have a nation. Many nations will come from you, like the stars in the sky. And in that blessing, in that, in that nation, you will bless the world. He told Abram that his nation, the seed, his descendants would bless the world. And in that, in that, we get a little clue as to what God's plan was going to be. He was seeking to be present to his people. So Abram had a son named Isaac. Father Abraham had many sons, right? So he had many sons. He had Isaac. And then Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And then Jacob had 12 sons. And from those 12 sons grew a nation the nation of Israel. And God revealed himself to this nation. I am that I am. And he was with them and he gave them laws and he he said, I want to be the people, your, your God and to dwell with you. But it wasn't quite the end of his plan because these people rebelled. They didn't understand God's plan. They didn't want to be with him and they sought after other gods, but God stuck with them because he had a plan. He wanted to be with his people. And so in the midst of this people, he sent men called prophets. And these prophets talked about God's plan. They revealed God's plan even more. There was the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah said that God would send a man, a suffering servant, who would take on the sins of his people. And he would cleanse them like a pure and spotless lamb. And then there was the prophet Ezekiel, who said that... God would give his spirit to his people, that he would give them a new heart, that he would write God's law in their heart, that they would know good and evil, and they would know how to follow God from the spirit. And then there was the prophet Joel, who said, I, God is going to pour out his spirit on sons and daughters and old and young and on servants. So God's plan was going, it was happening, it was coming through, and then, and then Jesus came. And Jesus' name was Jesus, but it was also Emmanuel, God with us. Here we have it, God with us in the flesh as a man. And Jesus spent time with people, with 12 disciples, and he taught them what kind of God his father was, his father is. And at the end of his ministry, Jesus died on the cross and rose again in order to make a way for God to be present with us, in order as the prophets had said, to cleanse us from our sins. But that wasn't the end of the plan. Because then Jesus comes back to his disciples and he meets them outside of Jerusalem and he says, I'm going to go, but I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit to come in power on you in Jerusalem. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And what we see here as he says this to his disciples is that we see the beginning 
of the end of the plan. We see, we see the plan coming to fruition because thousands of years had taken place since God had made mankind. So much anticipation, so much time, and now we see at the beginning of Acts, it's coming true. Finally, God is going to be present with his people because Jesus was a man. He couldn't be everywhere at once, so he needed to pour out his spirit. And I wanted to demonstrate to you what this would look like, what this kind of idea of pouring out his spirit on all mankind would look like. So I've got here this wonderful makeshift champagne fountain. And just imagine that this is Jerusalem, this top bit right here, right? What's going to happen if I start pouring into this cup? It's going to overflow, right? So here's God's spirit in Jerusalem. Oh, there's Judea. And see, God's spirit doesn't have an end, so it keeps on going, keeps on pouring out. And as it goes into Judea, then it ends up in Samaria. God's spirit keeps on going. He just wants to pour out his spirit. He wants to be with his people. So he keeps on pouring his spirit out into all the world so that young and old may know him to the ends of the earth. And that was God's plan. That was what he was doing at the beginning of the book of Acts. What he explains to his disciples and that is why he tells them to wait for him. And that, as we go through the book of Acts, we see that happening. First, in Jerusalem, we see the encounter with the Holy Spirit. Pentecost, as they wait for him. Tongues of fire, fireworks, speaking in different tongues and languages of the world so that all may know that God is present to them. And then, chapter 8, the church is persecuted, chased out of Jerusalem into Judea and then into Samaria, as Jesus had said. And we see a similar encounter. We see something very much like Pentecost happen in Samaria. Chapter 10, Peter meets Cornelius and the centurions. And once again, God pours out his spirit on Gentiles, people who aren't even Jews, so that all may know and be with God. And then finally, we get to our chapter, chapter 19, the ends of the earth. God's spirit is being poured out and it just continues to go and pour out and pour out and pour out because that was God's plan from the beginning. He wants to be with his people. He wants to make his presence known. And so what is beautiful about this seemingly obscure passage is that there is so much depth behind it. There is so much buildup. Thousands of years of anticipation and finally God's spirit is being poured out in the world so that we can be in a place like they were in the Garden of Eden, unashamed to be in God's presence. So I, I love this passage because even though it seems to not be maybe that much of a big deal, it is, it is the unfolding of history before our very eyes. And history continues to unfold. God continues to pour out his spirit. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? One of the things that I was reflecting on as I was reading this passage is that I, I feel like very many of us in the church and outside of the church are like John's disciples, are like these guys who said very emphatically, we don't even know who the Holy Spirit is. Who is this guy? Some of us in our faith, we think that all that we're called to do is simply believe. 
Yes. But why? If God didn't simply want people to believe him, he wanted to be with him. So many of us have stopped short. We are like John's disciples and we know something about God, but we don't know who God is like. We have never experienced what it means to be with the Holy Spirit, to have the Holy Spirit poured into our lives. So there's a, there's a lot, uh, as you look in this passage and you reflect on the Holy Spirit, what you, what, you can, what you can see and what you can understand is that these guys encountered the Holy Spirit and they were changed forever. This passage is, is pretty divisive a lot of times. There are a lot of passages like this in Acts where whole denominations have sprung up over the opinions and, and ideas about what this means in terms of the Holy Spirit. But there's one thing that we can all agree on. And that is, if you meet the Holy Spirit, if you meet God, you're going to be different. It's going to change you. It's going to be apparent in your life that the Holy Spirit is active in it. And that's true for any relationship. You recognize that when you're in a relationship with someone, that someone is changing you. You know, I was, I was thinking about this, and one of the people that really sticks out in my mind about relationships is Pastor Mark. You know, I have the privilege of being with Pastor Mark, of working with him. And, I mean, he's a, he's a character. And you guys know him at, at some level. I mean, look at him. He's, how can you look at that and not know that being with somebody like that is going to change you? And for me, it's been wonderful. I, you know, the last three years, I can look back and, and, and then look forward to my future ministry and say, absolutely, my ministry is never going to be the same because I spent time with this guy. I learned from him his values, integrity, the way he does ministry, the way he preaches. And I'm changed because I was in relationship with him. Kids, you wonder why your parents are worried about who you hang out with. Well, that's why. Relationships change you. And so you choose your friends carefully. You decide who you're going to hang out with because it can change you. It can make you a different person. And if that is true... For our earthly relationships, for the relationships that we have with each other as human beings, as men and women, then how much more true is that for our relationship with God? How much more true that when we meet the Holy Spirit, when we encounter God, as he pours out his spirit on all mankind, that we are changed as well. And you know, it's just like any other relationship. My relationship will be different than your relationship uh, with, for example, Pastor Mark. Because we are different people. And as we encounter the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit interacts with us differently. For some people, that may mean simply that they're able to quit smoking. Or they're able to quit being as angry. For some people, like the Apostle Paul, it means that he's able to get beat up, stoned, thrown in jail, and keep on ticking. That's what the Holy Spirit did for the Apostle Paul. It gave him that power. gave him that ability. And I, as, even as I'm saying that the Holy Spirit changes us, I want to point out that God does not draw near us to change us. But in drawing near to God, we are changed. Right? He doesn't come near to say, you need to be changed. But in his presence, we are changed. It's impossible to not be. So this is God's plan. He wants to be with us. He wants to fill us with his spirit. Because in this, we see a glimpse of, his, of eternity. 
Even now, as we experience the Holy Spirit changing us, empowering us, giving us his love, giving us his presence, we get a taste of what eternity with God will be like. So I want you to walk away as I finish this morning with a couple different things. And I actually think that we can learn something from John's disciples. I think we can look at how they responded to Paul and learn from that. So a couple different things. The first thing is John's disciples lived a lifestyle of repentance. They lived a lifestyle of repentance. They knew that there were things in their life that they had to let go of in order to encounter God's presence. That they had to change their mind about things. That they had to choose to go in a different direction. So for us, as we consider meeting God, of of encountering him, of, of having his spirit poured out on us, then we need to live a lifestyle of repentance. And that doesn't matter whether you already believe in Jesus, whether you already follow Jesus, or you do not yet. Either way, even as followers of Jesus, we need to be in a continuous lifestyle of repentance, continually reminding ourselves of what we need to let go in order to follow Jesus, in order to encounter his presence through the Holy Spirit. The second thing that John's disciples did was they purified their appetites. You know, as, as they um, encountered Paul, they were already anticipating. They already were looking forward to a Savior. They were already looking for God's presence. So their appetite was there. And what's interesting about our age is more than any other age, we are so distracted by different things to consume. There are many things that can take away our attention. Many things that say, this is satisfying. Consume it. But the reality is that the source of all goodness, of all life, of all power and wisdom and joy and love is in God. It's through the Holy Spirit. So why would we ever think that anything else could really truly satisfy than God himself? And that is what it means to purify your appetite. To understand and to remind ourselves that true satisfaction comes from God. No matter what. And everything else is but a shadow of the satisfaction that being with God can give to us. So John's disciples purified their appetites. And finally, John's disciples responded in obedience. Even as they were listening to Paul... Paul said, you need to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That was Jesus' command. And so they obeyed Jesus, and they were baptized in Jesus' name. And then, in their obedience, then the Holy Spirit shows up. And they experience God's presence. And this morning, there are a number of us, I guarantee it, always God is calling us to be obedient to something. Probably just one thing. God is calling us to be obedient to that thing. For some of us, I bet there's a lot of you, or some of you, maybe a couple, who need to be baptized, who need to respond in exactly the same way that these 12 men did. August 30th, baptism in the harbor. And that may mean that you need to be plugged into the community. You need to come to the membership class that's happening right after this service. There's other things that we can be obedient to. Maybe it's simply praying with somebody. Maybe it's simply asking forgiveness. Maybe it's letting go of something. Whatever it is, I bet... If you were to stop, to be silent, and to listen to the promptings of your heart, God is calling you to respond in obedience, just as these 12 men did. This is God's plan. 
It is unfolding before our very eyes. It continues to unfold. God continues to pour out his spirit on the world because he wants to be with you and with me. That is a taste of eternity. I hope that you, along with me, are anticipating that, that you have experienced or want to experience and will experience what it means to be in God's presence even now.